Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. We are getting ready here to keep rolling through March, man, as we are set with the final four. Four Blue Bloods made it down to New Orleans on Saturday. Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, Kansas. Can be joined in just a bit by our co-host throughout the bunch of March in the podcast, Troy Moriel. We're going to recap the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, talk the end of the St. Peter's run, the big winners, the big losers, who wasted opportunities? We'll preview the final four. All that comes up in just a bit. Make sure you lock in the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. I got to actually talk about the Oscars again, which I was surprised because usually, you know, you don't have these big wow moments coming out of the Oscars, but everything went viral after the Will Smith, Chris Rockins, and I want to give you some Oscar highlights at the end of the show, but we'll get it all started here with the opening tip in just a minute. We're talking about the Jets, Tyreek Hill thing, what happened there, but before we dive into all that, I want to... Uh, Tell you guys, if you like what you hear on the Just and the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rating as well. It'll make the podcast even better going forward. Let's check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of these conversations with Troy is going to be up on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, we are going to dive into the opening tip. Talk about the Jets Tyree Kill situation right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here, and there's been a lot of free agent movement in the offseason, the NFL, a lot of crazy trades, and one of the big stories of the local area here last week was the Jets' failed attempt to trade for Tyreek Hill, and this is one of those that sort of came out of nowhere, like the Russell Wilson being traded to the Broncos came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you hear one morning, the Chiefs are willing to move Tyreek Hill, the most explosive receiver in the NFL, at the Jets' office of the two finalists. The Jets made a big offer. The Chiefs accept that offer. The Jets are going to trade their two second-round picks, number 35 and number 38, number 69, the third-rounder. They got rebuffed because Kansas City gave Tyreek Hill the choice of where he wanted to go between the Jets and the Dolphins. He picked the Dolphins. Dolphins got five picks, give Hill a big contract. And Tyreek Hill basically said in his press conference that he had no interest in coming to the Jets, none whatsoever. His agent, Drew Rosenhaus, also added fuel to the fire. He basically made it sound like the Dolphins did Tyreek Hill a massive favor by coming in, making an offer, because the Jets and Chiefs had agreed to the Hill trade. They were talking about a contract extension. The Dolphins came back in and made a big offer, and Drew Ross basically got his knees saying, thank you, Lord, I don't have to play for the Jets. Tyreek can go where he wants. There are a lot of complaints on the internet about how the Jets didn't close the deal. Hey, if you offer the 10th pick, the Chiefs don't make Tyreek Hill choose between the Dolphins and the Jets. But they did nothing wrong here. The Jets made a tremendous offer. The Chiefs accepted. The Chiefs said, okay, your two twos and the three is good enough to get Tyreek Hill. 
if we heard that the Jets got the deal done, they did not get out their first round picks or any future picks, there would be a statue being built outside of Florida Park right now for Joe Douglas. Because he already is a reputation for winning trades, or he's selling off pieces, like the Jamal Adams trade and the Sam Darnold trade. Him getting Tyreek Hill out giving up either one or a future pick would have been incredible. The issue here the Jets run into, as well they've run into for a long time, they've been so bad for so long that it is very hard to entice these stars to come here. Joe Douglas has resisted the urge to pay that Jets tax in free agency where you see stars in the market, they see your team, and they see a team that's as just as good, a team that's much better, say the Ravens, say, I'll pay for you, give me another $4 million a year. This is something that Mike McCagney did, I pay the Jet tax. And if it does not work, you end up in cap hell. See the Tremaine Johnson contract. See Le'Veon Bell. See the 2015 spending spree that got the Jets a 10-6 year and they had to blow the whole thing up a year later. The Jets did not pay the Jet tax for a guy like Marcus Williams, who they were willing to pay him $14 million. You were not going to pay him 17 to have him skip out on the Ravens. They were not going to overpay on Tyree Kill and give up the 10th pick when he can only be here for a year and then run away to Miami. He doesn't like where you're going after a year. The Jets have gotten better. There's no question about that. They've improved this offseason. But the rest of the AFC has significantly improved as well. So the question you're stuck in is a nasty catch 22. How do you get to the point where you become an attractive destination without overpaying in trades or free agency to get the guys to come here? You're not giving up a 10th pick if you're not getting Tyreek Hill signed a contract extension. They were willing to give him the contract extension. They were negotiating it with him. But he wouldn't sign it because he wanted to live in South Beach and not pay state income tax. The way to get out of this situation is going to be more of nailing the draft, getting better on the field. By the way, when eight to nine games, so you're on the verge of being a good team. Based with the Brooklyn Nets of the NBA, where they rebuilt from nothing, they put together a good young core, they barely got in the playoffs, and all of a sudden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie were sitting there saying, hmm, I want to go to Brooklyn. I can turn this around. Doing that in the NFL is hard, especially if the AFC is loaded, where the Jets are probably the third best team in the con- third worst con- team in the conference ahead of maybe Jacksonville and the Texans, who they are definitely better than. Douglas is still looking for his opportunities, though. Rich to me mentioned the other day that if the extension talks for other big receivers like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, or Debo Santa fall apart, but Jessica will be right there, ready to make a deal. And they have the assets. They still have all those picks. They might be shopping picks to get more options in the future. DK Metcalf bears watching because Seattle looks like they're in the middle of a teardown. Metcalf can be a guy who can want out, come here, be a big part of the future for the Jets. Avoiding that jet tax is an important way in the smart business sense you want to build a sustained winner. We don't have these boomer bus cycles. You're good for two years. You're tearing it down. You're reeling for four, starting over. It takes discipline and patience to do that, though. And this fan base does not have much patience left. Because this has been an 11-year playoff drive, which is the longest in the league. It's all certainly going to come 12 next year. We will see over the coming weeks if they have an opportunity to make a big splash before the draft. We'll be getting into the draft coverage in a couple of weeks. So we're going to start shifting gears out of March Madness into that. But up next, we are going to dive into the Madness even further. We're going to recap the Sweet 16, get you ready for the Final Four with Troy Moriello right after this.
All right, we are back here talking March Madness. The Final Four is now set. Join me today to break down the Blue Blood Affair, the host of the Seeing Red Podcast, our co-host of the month of March on the podcast. Troy Moriel is here. Troy, how are you? Mike, I'm doing well. Uh, just finished a great weekend of games, of course, and we're looking forward to a really exciting Final Four with two really cool matchups. So, of course, I'm doing well. Yeah, I have to say, I wanted to start off. I mean, generally, the games were a lot of fun. Sunday was probably a letdown compared to the other three days, but the basketball is a pretty top-notch when the referees are not getting in the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, this was a really good tournament, I think I would say. You know, a lot of upsets early. You had kind of the one Cinderella team in St. Peter's. Um, but, you know, when you look at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, four blue bloods in the final four uh, makes for some really exciting matchups. And like you mentioned, some really exciting play over the over the weekend. Um, you know, Sunday wasn't the best. The Elite Eight as a whole probably uh, wasn't the most entertaining games. But I think that you are left with four of the best teams in the country right now uh, playing for the final four. Of course, Arizona, Gonzaga, they get knocked out early, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second. But, you know, as a whole, I think that this tournament kind of played out how you want a tournament to play out. Uh, you know, you had a lot of upsets early. You had the one Cinderella, and then you kind of had uh, relative chalk you know, outside of North Carolina, but some, you know, blue blood teams uh, playing in the final four. Yeah, I'm also going to throw out there for the people on Twitter going, oh, Villanova's not a blue blood. I'm like, we're still having UCLA blue blood stats and then won one title since 1975. We can give Villanova blue blood stats away in couple, three national titles since 1985. Yeah, yeah. That, I think they would qualify at this point. What's that? Three final fours in the last seven years, I yeah. think. Uh, that's that's blue blood status at this point. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, they don't have maybe the long history of some of those other schools, but at this point now they're they're a premier program in college basketball. Uh, and they've been that since, you know, what, 2013, 2014. They've they've been, you know, consistently a top five program uh, in, in the country. So, yeah, I think that they are certainly if they're not a blue blood, you know, they're certainly approaching that status for sure. Yeah, let's talk about real quick. Let's wait, put the bow on the Cinderella story of St. Peter's. They give one more March miracle where they upset Purdue. They get to the Elite Eight first, 15 seed ever to do that. Then they run to the buzzsaw in North Carolina. So the whistle's not going the way early. North Carolina just finally figured out how to attack them, managed to take advantage of the lack of size that the Peacocks have. But all in all, this is still going to be what I think it might be the greatest Cinderella run the tournament's ever seen. Oh, yeah. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, the resolve that they showed, you know, taking down you know, three teams on their way to the Elite Eight. We've never seen anything like it before. Um, you kind of had a feeling that when it did end, it was going to kind of go up in flames in a blowout like we saw on Sunday against North Carolina. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone saw them losing like a five-point game or something like that. I think, in my opinion, when they did lose, it was going to be something like that where a team just overpowered them. Uh, but, yeah, it doesn't take away the incredible run that they had. What a job that Shaheen Holloway did. Uh, at St. Peter's, you know, getting them all the way to the Elite Eight. Like I said, we've never seen this before. Uh, that's what March Madness is just all about. You know, if you would have gone back two weeks ago and told anyone St. Peter's is going to be playing in the Elite Eight against North Carolina, um, you know, you could probably count on one hand or two hands how many people in, in the world had that uh, on their bracket going in, going into or right after Selection Sunday. So, uh, you know, it just speaks to, to this tournament. And what's great about this tournament and, you know, it's the unpredictability of, you know, who knows what's going to happen. This is a prime example of that. A 15 seed from right around here in Jersey City, uh, making it all the way to the Elite Eight. A uh, very, very cool story, you know, getting them on the national stage. So although it ended kind of poorly for them, doesn't take away. It's just a crazy run that they had. 
Yeah, I remember when we did the selection show spot. We're talking, oh, good for St. Peter's. They got on national TV on the first like Friday night against Fox, uh, against Kentucky. So CBS, they'll get their national exposure. And then they stay around for two whole weeks, and you got to give the program credit. You're going to mean, like, I know Shaheen Howe's off to UConn, off to Seton Hall. We'll get that in a second. But, I mean, mm-hmm. with all the attention this program has, like, nope, nobody's going to forget where St. Peter's is anymore. They're going to know where they are. The enrollment at school's gonna go up. The Mac's gonna benefit as a whole because they get the extra tournament yeah. units. They get it's a big win for everybody involved here. Yeah, and it's and it's like we talked about. You know, St. Peter's they'll probably never reach this level again uh, as a school, or at least not anytime in the near future. But they will always have this. You know, they will always have that 2022 tournament. Everyone, you know, whenever you bring up St. Peter's now, it's gonna be hey, remember when they made that run? You know, it's it's like uh, George George Mason, or if you want to go into to football, uh, Appalachian State, you know, or even like Boise State when they uh, beat Oklahoma. Like, they're always going to have that moment that everyone's going to remember. Hey, remember when, when St. Peter's made that run? It's just something that's going to go with them. And like you mentioned, it's going to benefit their program. It's going to benefit their school with all the new enrollees that I'm sure they're going to have. And it's going to benefit the MAC as well. So, uh, yeah, although it ended, you know, not great for them, it's it's just going to, I would assume it's going to pay dividends for them and the conference in the future. Yeah, and you as a Big East guy can't be too happy now you have Shaheen Holloway coaching your conference regularly. Yeah, yeah, um, just kind of works out that way, of course, for Seton Hall. You know, they, they have Kevin Willard, who completely resurrects their program, right? They, uh, you know, were, were really an afterthought about, you know, five, ten years ago, about ten years ago. Uh, they give Willard some time, and he turns them into a consistent tournament team, consistent top half of the Big East team. Uh, you know, he kind of runs his course there, moves on to Maryland, and then who do they have in waiting but Shaheen Holloway, who is probably the hottest coach uh, still on the market right now, uh, just happened to go to Seton Hall, and it's, you know, it was basically a done deal before the tournament even started that he was going to be going there. Uh, yeah, it just works out for them, and definitely not looking forward to dealing with him in the Big East for the foreseeable future, but for Seton Hall, it's a great get for them, and, uh, you know, th- their program should continue to be a top half of the Big East uh, school. Yeah, one other thing I want to touch on here before we dive into more specifics here is obviously the ACC continue their success here. I mean, they got two programs in the Final Four. Miami makes the Elite Eight. And now we have all the revisionist history going, oh, you know, the ACC <laughs> wasn't un- was- wasn't was overrated. They had a good year. She got more teams in. Wake Forest got snubbed. And I, I give the guys, the teams that made it credit. Like, they played well in the tournament. I mean, I mean, I mean, AC a big time would kill to have the AC year. We had two teams in the final four and yeah. one team in the elite eight. They got none of them, none of them that far. But to me, you just you can't completely ignore what happened in November and December and January and February. Like mm-hmm. the, the tournament, yes, I mean by nature, the casuals like, oh, you know, we pay attention now. They're winning now. The Big Ten's not. The SEC isn't. But mm-hmm. you can't forget they were not good in non-conference play. A lot of teams got punked in big games. That, Credit mm-hmm. to the ones that are still there, but the league as a whole was bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we all kind of talked about Duke being a Final Four contender. I don't think that that really surprised anyone. Uh, North Carolina, you know, you and I had ripped on them a bunch this season. But, you know, we all we kind of could have seen a run like this coming, I guess. You know, it's not the most shocking thing in the world. Um, you know, and they take down Baylor, of course. But, yeah, we don't want to let those results kind of skew how this conference looked all season long. Like you mentioned, you know, the Big Ten, the SEC, those were better conferences than the ACC from from November to early March, like you mentioned. Um, we don't want to let, you know, what happens in, in two weeks in March in North Carolina going on this really hot run for two weeks in March and even Miami going on a run for a couple weeks in March uh, skew yeah, what happened really for the previous four months. 
Um, the ACC had a couple had a really good team in Duke and had two teams that got hot at the right time, I would say. But yeah, that's not indicative of their conference being underrated all season long, I wouldn't say. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I still think they were one of the lower Power 5 conferences this season. Um, so I don't think that they were underrated by any by any stretch of the imagination. They were just, you know, they had a couple, they had one really good team and then two teams get hot, uh, which, you know, makes them look a lot better at this time of year. Yeah, I mean, this is basically the equivalent of what the Pac-12 did last year when they got yeah. four teams into mm-hmm. the Elite Eight. They had UCLA against the Final Four coming with them. A buzzer of Jalen Suggs, buzzer beater, knocking off an undefeated Gonzaga. I think that's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. Exactly, yeah. And, and even then, they had what UCLA and Oregon State were two lower seeds making that, those runs to the Elite Eight. Yeah, very similar to that. You know, no one no one went back at that point and said, hey, maybe the Pac-12 was better than we thought. Um, you know, we shouldn't do that with the ACC as well. You know, they 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 had one really good team and uh, a couple teams get hot, but we don't want to let that skew the perception of them all season long. Absolutely. And I think, obviously, we know who made the Final Four, but there were obviously a lot of lost opportunities here, especially mm-hmm. with some one seeds and the Big Ten as a whole. Like, who do you think blew their shot the, the most? Who had the wa- biggest wasted opportunity here? You know, there's a lot of candidates for this, to be honest with you. Um, I would go with the, the two out, out West uh, one seeds, uh, Arizona and Gonzaga. I would say both of them. You know, those are two teams that I, th- I thought Arizona was the best team in the country. Uh, I thought Gonzaga was 1A. You know, I thought that those two teams were 1 and 1A, and I obviously wasn't alone with that. You know, if you looked at everyone's bracket, every almost everyone had one, if not both of them, in the Final Four, and both of them can't even make an Elite Eight. Uh, you know, they both get picked off early in the Sweet 16, uh, both in kind of similar type games. Arizona was a little bit further behind than theirs, uh, but both of them just never really felt like they were going to win their games in their Sweet 16 either. Um, just a disappointing ending to two seasons when, you know, you kind of thought that those teams were, you know, there were, there were obviously question marks, you know, Gonzaga, the WCC was a good conference this season, but, you know, there's always question marks about Gonzaga and even Arizona playing in the Pac-12, which, you know, looked a little bit limited, maybe very top heavy with them, UCLA uh, and USC, you know, there were questions about both of them. And it turned out that those questions turned out to kind of be correct, you know, or we, we turned out to be right to question some of them. Um, yeah, it's just a disappointing ending to two seasons for them. And, you know, again, Gonzaga, it's another uh, failure for them in, in, in uh, March Madness. You know, it's another failure for them in a year when they were picked by a lot of people to win it all. Uh, you know, you go back to November, they were the clear favorite. You know, you even went into to March and they still went in as one of the favorites. Um, you know, you just got to wonder if it's ever going to happen for them. <laughs> you know, they've they've been on the top now for, what, 10, 15 years, it feels like, where they've been a one seed. They've been around the top five. Uh, this year, I felt like it was their year. Uh, I felt like they were one of the best teams, like I mentioned, along with Arizona. And the fact that they, you know, let alone they can't get to the Final Four, they can't even get to the Elite Eight. Uh, very, very disappointing for them. So if I had to pick one, I would probably say Gonzaga. But both of the West Coast one seeds uh, really let me down. Yeah, the guard play was a big letdown for Gonzaga. I couldn't make outside shots. Yeah, the one I'll go with here is Purdue. Because to me, like, we talked last week, we said, they have the recipe to beat St. Peter's. They have all the sides. They have Trevion Williams. They have Zach Eady. Matt Painter, I mean, also credits to Shaheen Holloway for having the brilliant game plan to throw Jaden Ivey off his game early by sending two guys with him the entire time. Took him mentally out of it. How yeah. Matt Painter does not change up ways on all year and just put Edie and Travion Williams on the floor together yeah. and dump into the post every single play. Like, we saw in the second half when Trayvon Williams got fed the ball like six possessions in a row. They scored about 12, 13 points. They went away from it again. So horrendous coaching job in Matt Hainer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, with with uh, Purdue, you know, you had 
what, three, four days to plan for this game. Yeah. It's not, I mean, Kentucky had a couple days too, but you almost want to like give them a pass in a way because you say, you know, who would have saw, who would have been able to take St. Peter's seriously? You know, I mean, it is the NCAA tournament, sure, but you're Kentucky, you're St. Peter's. Like you almost give them a pass for maybe coming out a little bit slow and being a little bit shell-shocked in that game. Purdue, you just saw them beat two teams. You just saw them beat a Kentucky team that was a higher seed than you. Um, you know, to have three, four days to plan for that and to not be able to, like you said, use your size to your advantage and to not have a, a game plan uh, that was going to, you know, win the game for you. Yeah, that's just such a letdown for them. So I, I would agree uh, with that as well. What a letdown for Purdue, a team that I was high on all season long that I thought could be a Final Four contender. Um, and they get, you know, they lose to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. Just a, a really rough ending for a team that uh, was looking like they could make their first Final Four in a while. Yeah, I mean, they had the, the golden ticket. They had the number one in their region was yeah. bounced. The number two in their region was bounced. They found out the number four in their region got bounced. They wouldn't even made it to the Elite Eight. It was all right in front of them. They could not beat the 15 seed because they don't not want to change how they play the entire season. And this is something where the, the best coaches are willing to adapt. We see, we saw Mike Krzyzewski go to zone against Texas Tech yeah. and end up winning the game. Mm-hmm. Like That's mm-hmm. something that Matt Painter just did not want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in March, you know, you, you see really the difference in good coaching versus average or mediocre or bad coaching even you know like you mentioned there there's a reason why you know we see duke and we see north carolina and we see uh villanova and kansas you know around at the end of the season maybe not kansas but the other three uh, around at the end of the season it's because they have these great coaches you know and uh, a coach like matt painter sure he's a very very good coach he's a very good regular season coach for sure but in march do you really trust him to get the job done uh so far no you know, and, and and that's a prime example of it. You know, stray away from what you've been doing all season long. Make an adjustment uh, to beat this 15 seed, and you're in the Elite Eight with a chance to go to the Final Four for the first time in forever. Uh, he couldn't do it. You know, you, we're seeing just how important coaching becomes in these two weeks in March. It's important all season long, for sure, but you can get by, I would say, in the regular season with, you know, average to mediocre coaching if you have the talent. Uh, in March, even if you have the talent, if you don't have the coaching, it, you're going to really struggle, and you're going to you're going to get bit at some point. All right, let's take the final four teams off the table here. Who was the biggest winner of this round of the tournament? Um, I, I guess I would say Miami. You know, uh, if if we're not saying final four teams, I, I would say Miami. You know, a, a good run for them for sure. First elite eight, I think, in program history. They said. Um, you know, obviously the obvious one is St. Peter's, but I'll go with Miami, you know, making a run. It, it was a very like quiet Cinderella run for them. You know, no one really mentioned that they were a 10 seed in the elite eight. Um, you know, they take down Auburn, uh, and then they get a, a nice win over Iowa state. So yeah, I would say Miami make, making their first, uh, elite eight. They were in that game for a while until Kansas just ran through them in the second half. Um, you know, so a very, very good season for them, a season that, you know, if you would have went back in November or even, you know, into, into February, I would say no one would have been said that Miami is an elite eight team. So, uh, you know, a good run for them, you know, again, under the radar and maybe something to build on for that program going forward. So I would say Miami. Yeah. I'm going to go with Arkansas as my winner here because not only do they frustrate Gonzaga in no way and they knock off the Bulldogs, they give Duke a very hard time. Most of that game, Duke pulled away weight because of the talent edge they had there, but mm-hmm. great job by muscle and getting a senior ready for those two games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And I also want to shout out Houston as well. You know, a team that uh, was was right on the doorstep of back to back final fours. Man, if they could have hit a couple three pointers in that game against Villanova, it's a completely different game. Even down the stretch when they go one for 20, you know, if you go four for 20, uh, that's just a totally different game from, uh, from three point range. Uh, it's just a totally different game. And, you know, a letdown for them for sure. 
in the uh, in the Elite Eight, but that I, that shouldn't take away the job that Kelvin Sampson done uh, did that season. You know, losing I think their top six scores from last season. I want to say six or seven scores from last season. They're still in the Elite Eight, and they were still on the doorstep of the Final Four. So, uh, so credit to them. You know, that's a program that has completely uh, changed its perception in the last three, four years from what they were prior to when he was there. Um, and that's a program that should, you know, roll through that conference for for years to come. Now they've really built something there, and I'm I'm excited to see where they go in the future. Yeah, and you also wonder with them if they if they have a healthy train on market, Marcus Sasser, I probably they have a good shot to win this whole tournament. Yeah, I think it would have been a real different story if they had those two guys um, and didn't lose them to the injuries. Yeah, that, I think they could have been a team that would have been a one seed or near a one seed and uh, potentially, you know, still playing right now. All right, let's go the other way. Who is the big loser of this group of this uh, set of games here? I mean, I, I'll, I'd say Purdue is obviously high on the board here. But I, I want to say the Big Ten as a whole because, again, like how with nine teams in here do you not have a team in the Elite Eight? That's really bad. <laughs> Yeah, and especially after last season, too, you know, the, the letdown in the tournament for the Big Ten last season as well. Yeah, um, yeah it's just it, – yeah, it's a, it's a real letdown for them two years in a row now. And now you're going to have that narrative, right? Like when, when this happens for a couple of years in a row, you're going to have that narrative of people saying – um, you know, that your conference is, is really strong in January and February. Then when it comes time in the NCAA tournament, you don't stand up. Um, that's that's the perception that's around the Big Ten now, and, and it's kind of been earned the last two tournaments – uh, to not get a Final Four team and to only and to not get an Elite Eight team, it's it's a shame for them. Yeah, I mean they had the Michigan got the Elite Eight last year before they were upset by Houston. Yep. But I will say also in terms of what's going on there, I mean this is a year where you had your best team playing a 15 seed in the Sweet 16. <laughs> like how you don't get the job done is not great. It's not good. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, and you obviously would have had a shot against an eight seed in the uh, in the Elite Eight to go to the to the Final Four. Yeah, the letdown. I mean, if I was if I was picking one, I, I would have said Purdue as well for the biggest disappointment. Um, I, I won't double down on that, even though it, it is the answer. Uh, but staying in that region, I think UCLA has got to be disappointed as well. You know, they, they they obviously lose a tough game against UNC, but you know, throughout the course of the season, I think you know UCLA has to feel like they were the better team uh, or a better team than UNC for sure. Um, you know, they have a shot at a second straight Final Four. Uh, you know, because they would have been playing a 15 seed in, in the Elite Eight and they can't get it done. And for a team that came into this season with, I would say, legitimate national title expectations uh, to lose to an eight seed. I know it's UNC, but to lose to an eight seed in the Sweet 16, that's a big letdown. You know, maybe not, you know, in the in the micro of the tournament, but in the macro of this season, when you zoom out and you look at what the expectations were after last season, losing on a buzzer beater in the final four to Gonzaga. Uh, the expectation I would say would have been to at least get back to a final four uh, going into the year. And they just, it, it just never felt like they fully clicked even in the tournament in their, in their, in their wins, just never felt like they were like fully in sync uh, with the team that we all thought that they could be. They showed flashes of it for sure, but it just was not consistent with them all season long. Um, and yeah, a letdown for them. Cause I think they would probably be playing in the final four right now if they were able to take care of North Carolina on Friday night. Yeah, let's talk about the final four teams. We'll start with Villanova here. And the big news from them coming out here is unfortunate injury news because Justin Moore blows out his Achilles tendon in the win over Houston. Now he's out for the rest of the tournament and probably in the next year as well. So, mm-hmm. like, obviously their second league score is a big deal here. So, like, how much does this hurt Villanova's, like, title-winning upside to lose him right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a shame for them, right? Because, you know, last year Colin Gillespie uh, has the season-ending injury at the end of – really in the beginning of March, the last regular season game for them. Uh, he's out for the tournament, and now they lose Justin Moore. 
on the doorstep of the final four. Uh, really a shame two straight years now for them that they lose such a key player to their team. Uh, the thing to remember with Villanova is they do not play a lot of guys. They play six or seven guys a night. Uh, so losing anyone really would be for, for the remainder of the season would be a big blow to them, but losing a guy like Justin Moore, who's, I, I just think he's so talented and he's, he's able to score for himself so easily for them. Uh, he hits big shots. I mean, everyone on that team hits big shots, but it feels like anytime they need a basket, they're going to him or they're going to Gillespie. Uh, losing him is just, is, is going to be really, really tough for a team that just doesn't, you know, by choice really doesn't really go very deep into their starting lineup or, or, or past their starting lineup. You know, you look at Villanova, they, like I said, they play a six, seven man rotation. Um, you know, so losing any of those guys would have been a big blow. Uh, but outside of Gillespie, Justin Moore, I would say is really one of their, is really their most important player. So it's a big, big blow for them. Uh, it couldn't have come at a worse time. Uh, obviously a feel for the kid who, who was having a great, great season. It comes at the end of the game too. when the game was kind of already decided as well. Um, you know, he had to still be in the game at that point. They had to uh, close it out, but you know, just, just horrible timing two years in a row now for Villanova teams. Last year's team probably didn't have those national title expectations, but this year's team certainly did go into the final four. Uh, and that that's a big, big blow for them. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to recover. Absolutely. And I think the next time I talk about is obviously Duke, which, Goes to the Final Four out of the out of the West region. Mike Krzyzewski is now setting records where he's won 100 tournament games. He's been to 13 mm-hmm. Final Fours, both tops all time. Now you're sitting here, though, if you're Doof. You're getting the kind of historical pressure that you had when you lost to Coach K's last home game. You lost Coach K's last AC tournament final against Virginia Tech. So now here comes North Carolina with the first ever Final Four meeting between these two programs. Like, the kind of pressure they're going to be under I think if they get out of this game, they can win. They win a tournament, but the, the pressure they're going to mm-hmm. be under here is enormous, and I, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to be worried about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's reason to worry, of course. Like you mentioned, you know, the final uh, game at Cameron Indoor, they they you know kind of lay an egg there. Final ACC tournament game, they lay an egg there. Um, you know, it's been two times in the last month now that we've seen them come up short in these big moments for Coach K. Um, I think that was honestly maybe a good thing for them. You know, they might look back and say that, especially that North Carolina game, uh, Coach K's final game at home, that they might look back and say that was a good thing that they needed to kind of, you know, maybe get it out of their system. I think we talked about on this show, you know, how how that that game, there was just so much surrounding it. Think of all the alumni, the former players that were there, you know, the, the celebrities that were there for that game. Uh, that's a lot, you know, so they now have experience kind of playing in a setting like that already, you know, and then of course the ACC tournament as well. Um, you know, they kind of know, maybe they know what to expect a little more than they did uh, going into that final regular season game against North Carolina. So maybe it may turn out to be a good thing. Maybe it gives them that experience that they didn't have, uh, you know, leading into that into that final game at Cameron Indoor. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, who knows, they're college kids, how they're going to come out and react. But to me, I think that that final game maybe was a good thing. And, you know, they, they've now played four straight games in a row where their backs are against the wall, where it could be their coaches, their legendary coaches final game. So they've got experience playing with that in their, in the back of their heads as well. Um, so I, I'm actually pretty confident that Duke's going to come out. I'm starting to think that it's going to be a storybook ending for coach K unfortunately for <laughs> a majority of the country. <laughs> yeah. I think the team I'll, I'm watching here, obviously I think it's Kansas because Kansas on, on uh, Sunday, Comes out of the first half, can't hit a shot, can't hit a free throw. They're down 35-29 at the half to Miami. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's another Bill Self choke job in yep. the Elite Eight. <laughs> and then they come out here. They play one of the most dominant halves of basketball I've ever seen. They outscore the Hurricanes 47-15 to after the break, which is almost unheard of. They're dominating from start to finish like, and after the, locker, after the uh, halftime break. 
you see something like that. I've not seen another team do that this year in the tournament. Like, to me, I know this is a little controversial considering the talent Duke has. I put Kansas the favorite heading into the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would have a tough time disagreeing with that, to be honest with you. You know, they get a, a, a hobbled Villanova team missing its its second or, or even, you know, one of its best players in the Final Four. And then they're going to get a Duke-North Carolina team that, you know, 48 hours before that is going to be playing, you know, the most emotional game of these guys' lives against their biggest rival. I mean, obviously, it's hard to have a letdown in the in the national title game, but I, I could certainly see that happening, maybe a little bit of a hangover from that game. Uh, yeah, I would put Kansas as the favorite right now for sure. Um, over Duke, you know, because the, I think that they have an easier matchup in the in the final four versus Villanova team. Like we said, that that's going in pretty hobbled. And then they might have a Duke and North Carolina team that's a little bit uh, fatigued or hung over from its previous game. So, you know, but but yeah, what a performance in the second half from them. Uh, I, I remember at halftime uh, going going to my dad who I was watching the game with and saying, you know, this would just be so Kansas to lose this game. <laughs> so Bill Self, you know, with a with a trip to the final four on the line and you lose to a 10 seed Miami. Uh, but they they just completely hit a second, a different gear in the second half. And they've you know, they've gone through some adversity in this tournament now. You know, they had that big lead against Providence. Providence clawed the way back and they were able to close them out. Uh, they played a tough game against Creighton, and they were able to close them out. And then they were obviously trailing at the half against Miami. So, you know, credit to Kansas. They've shown a lot in this tournament so far. Um, and, yeah, it would be – I would I would agree with you. that I think that they're the favorite right now. Yeah, I think they are the favorite here. And North Carolina gets here playing with house money, obviously, based on their seed and where they were. I mean, back up February 16th, they lost at home to Pittsburgh. And we're just sitting mm-hmm. here going, oh, boy, they may not make the tournament. And then – they have the big turnaround. They have to gut out a win over Syracuse on the on the Monday before the North before the Duke game. They yeah. get in. They're red hot. They nearly collapsed against Baylor. Like it feels like they have so many different ways this season should have gotten wrong for them. But the fact they're here, they deserve a ton of credit. You're right. There's just yeah. There's so many different spots where you could have had you know where they either would have not even made the tournament or uh, been knocked out at, at at a certain point in the tournament. The, the Baylor one is a good example of that. But yeah, they're just they're playing great basketball right now, and uh, you know it goes back to what we said earlier. You know, it's, you know if you can get into the tournament, doesn't really matter what happened in in November, December, January, February. You know, if you can just get in and play your best basketball for a four or five game stretch, uh, you're going to be playing you know into the into the elite eight and into the final four. Of course, they get a little bit of a gift playing St. Peter's in the in the elite eight, and they're uh, able to take advantage of that. But that was. You know, an impressive win over UCLA, and as as we talked about, an even more impressive win over Baylor. Previous, uh, you know, losing that big lead and still being able to win it in overtime. So, yeah, it's like you said. You know, there's just so many different spots uh, where their season could have taken a turn for the worse, and really, you know, taken a turn for for being finished. And yet, here they are. Uh, speaks to the resiliency of them with you know a first year head coach. Um, just a great job by them. And, and you know, it, it, it's the beauty of March Madness, right? A team that we never saw coming uh, playing in the Final Four. Absolutely. Now, let's look at these Final Four matchups here. Kansas and Villanova here. I do think this game is going to be closer than people anticipate because Villanova, even though they lost Justin Moore, the way they play, they are very efficient execution on offense. They're the best free throw shooting team I've seen in a long time where they get mm-hmm. to the stripe, they're hitting those shots. They'll keep them in the game. And Kansas... They do. They are a great team. Ray Martha has been a big difference, but they do only play about six, seven guys. It's not like they're going to overwhelm uh, uh, Villanova with depth here. So I think this game will be close. I think Kansas will pull it out based on the difference of Justin Moore being out. But I do think it's going to be a very tight game. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, look back to the Elite Eight game for Villanova. 
they didn't play well in that game at all. I believe Houston had like more field goals made more. They, they, the Houston outplayed them essentially, yeah. but just Villanova is just so efficient. They know, um, you know, if there's five minutes left in the game and Villanova is in a close game, uh, you feel very, very confident that they're going to close that game out and win that game. Uh, they just, like you said, they hit free throws at, at a record clip, uh, you know, NCAA record clip. They're just so smart. They're a veteran team, even though they don't have that depth, you know, and they have even less depth now without Justin Moore. Yeah, they just they play so smart. Jay Wright has, what, five, six days to get ready for this game. Uh, you know, you, you never want to count him out. So I could see this being a game. But like you mentioned, I think Villanova lacking that, you know, real second, you know, strong option uh, aside Colin Gillespie. I think Kansas in the end is going to is going to uh, will its way to victory. But I think this will be a good game. Like you said, I, I think I could see Kansas winning by, you know, five or six points. It, it being a close game throughout just because, you know, the, the pace that Villanova plays too. you know, they're taking 20 plus seconds. Uh, every single time that they have the ball, they're going to you know, run the shot clock, get in, pass up you know, a good shot to try to get a great shot. You know, Losing one guy doesn't change all of that. Uh, so they will hang around, I think, but I still do think Kansas will, will uh, you know, even though they don't have the depth, they have uh, a couple more closers, I would say, and I think that they'll, they'll outlast them in the end. Yeah, the other game, obviously, it might be the most viewers TBS ever gets on night is the first <laughs> ever Duke-North Carolina NCAA tournament game. The theater of it being potentially the chance that Caroline already ruined Ishashevsky's last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. They could end his career here, sending him home in the Final Four. Like, there is no, no pressure on North Carolina, in my opinion, in this game whatsoever. It's all on Duke, and that's going to be such incredible theater to watch that game. It's going to be phenomenal. I mean, you talk about, you know, it's, it's just so fitting, right? These two teams, they never play in the tournament in their long story history of their rivalry. And now the last game for the most iconic coach that this sport has ever, or that this you know, collegiate sports has ever seen in Mike Krzyzewski, his one of his final games, uh, they finally meet up in the final four. It's just, it's a storybook ending. And uh, like you said, I, I think North Carolina, they are playing with house money. You know, they're really, the pressure is all on Duke for sure. But uh, I kind of hinted at this before. I, I think that they got it out of their system, uh, in, you know, in, in, in the final regular season game. I think they got those kind of nerves out of their system now. Maybe they'll play a little bit more loose or looser than they were in that game. And, you know, they have that in the back of their mind. I just I think it's now a storybook ending for Coach K. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to see him take down, get that revenge on North Carolina, get that one final win over over North Carolina and then go to the title game. And then we see what happens in the title game. But uh, I, I see I see Coach K and Duke getting by UNC here. So I'm going to go with kind of relative chalk and say Kansas and Duke in the in the final four. Who would you have winning that game right now? I, I, it's such a tough game to pick. Like I said, though, I, I would still say Kansas, I think, because I think that they're they're going to have a slightly easier time with Villanova than Duke will with with North Carolina. I see that Duke UNC game coming down to the, the final minute, um, but Duke Duke getting it done. And, you know, I just think that the the emotions of e either team that wins that game, I still think is just going to have a little bit of a hangover there from all the theater that's going to be in that game. Uh, you know, whereas Kansas is, is you know, going to be kind of the, the appetizer of the evening. Um, so I, I still think Kansas, but I, that's going to be another great game. I could see that going either way. Yeah, I'm with you right there. They're going to pick Kansas over Duke as my final pick here. I think that's what's going to happen here. But Troy... Thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be follow on social media. Keep up some of the stuff you're up to in the Seeing Red podcast. Definitely. Yeah, you can uh, check me out, Seeing Red podcast. If you're a St. John's fan, uh, we just did a season recap last week. So definitely, uh, definitely check that out. We'll be talking with Zach Braziller of the New York Post uh, soon in the next couple of days as well. 
So yeah, if you're a St. John's fan, definitely, uh, definitely check out the seeing red podcast. Absolutely. Troy. Thanks all the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks Mike. The two minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time here, and I got to say, I did not expect you going into this podcast, talking about the Oscars again. I did the big preview last week with John Stanko. We had some fun. We had some interesting talks on the potential winners here. Nowhere did I see coming out of here that we would have a major controversy with Will Smith basically slapping Chris Rock because Chris Rock insulted his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, with a joke. And if you've lived under a rock, you somehow missed this. Basically what happened here is Chris Rock was up there presenting the award for best documentary feature. He gives a joke about seeing Jay Pinkett Smith and saying, hey, I'll look forward to seeing you in G.I. Jane 2, which is basically a subtle dig at the fact that she has alopecia and is going bald and does not have a lot of hair. And Wilson took offense to this, goes up on stage, slaps him, curses him out, returns to his seat, this is literally the most insane thing I've ever seen because he gets to sit there. He wins the award for best actor, which we talked about last week, that he was probably going to win. You know, John Stanko not want to give it to him. He wins. He goes up there, has to give this really strange speech where he's talking about how Richard Williams loved his family. He apologized to the Academy and the other nominees and not apologize to Chris Rock. And it's literally utter chaos. And the whole ceremony gets hijacked by it. This is one thing where you're sitting there. This is one that's going to really overshadow the rest of his career. Regardless of whether you think he was right to defend his wife's honor, whether he handled it the incorrect way, he's going to have to live with this forever. And it's going to really stain his win for his performance of King Richard, which was spectacular. I do think he deserved to win. It's a shame it comes down to that. And the ceremony as a whole, just bizarre, this whole thing going on here. With all the musical numbers, the controversy about cutting out the awards that the, the technical categories try and save time, yet we're just pre-recording them and throwing them in there with the winner of the speech. Did you say that much time in the ceremony goes three hours, 50 minutes? I don't think you did. I mean, you didn't really save a ton of time, guys. Come on. And you obviously have all your controversies with Dakota winning the best picture, which I was thrilled about. A lot of people on Twitter were not happy about it. This movie was great. I highly recommend it to anybody. I know... It's Apple Plus. I know it's a remake of a French film that was not as well received, but it really tugs the heartstrings. It's really great performances. Troy Kotzer won the Best Supporting Actor Award for this movie. I think it's a very deserving winner. I just wonder what the Oscars going to do from here because now this is a big, big controversy, the Will Smith situation, because he apologized to the Academy. He put out a very passive, you know, we don't condone violence thing without directly saying that he did was wrong. Chris Rock is not pressing charges, although he has six months to change his mind. I don't think he's going to. It's chaotic. It's insane. It was a Twitter moment. You're going to have memes about this forever. It's something that is going to live with us for a long time. And it's shocking when it happened. The speech, when you when he wins Best Oscar, Best Actor at the Oscars, that was probably the, I want to get to the highest rated moment of the Oscars in years. Not what the Academy wants to be known for. We'll see, like, if they learn anything from the future here. I will say this, though. If the nominee for, like, best sound editing went up there and slapped the presenter, he would not be allowed to sit in the audience the rest of the show. He would have been kicked out. Just going to show you what having fame and notoriety can do for you. 
And with that, I want to end the show this week. I want to thank Troy Moriel for hopping on, as he always does, to continue our March Madness coverage. We'll be back one more time next week to wrap up the Final Four, crown our national champion, look ahead a little bit to next season, what's coming up with Troy next week. You want to look at stuff like this podcast, clearly look at what the end of the vaccine mandates in New York means for the New York athletes. Big win for Kyrie Irving and the Nets. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Also, check out the Sky Guys podcast this week. We're wrapping up our own bracket in Mars, the Star Wars character bracket. He gets the next Disney Plus show. The Final Four, Luke Skywalker versus Yoda, Poe Dameron versus Rey. Tune into that podcast to find out who we think is going to get the next Star Wars show, what else is going on in the podcast after that. Check out the Sky Guys podcast, all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all usual suspects. Search for the Sky Guys on all those platforms. You can find the episodes there. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's Just End the Suffering podcast. We'll be back next week. We have a very big show. We're going to wrap up March Madness. Some NLE preview stuff. We're going to have a chat with Jared Dine on the Wall Street Journal. Do NBA over-unders and more. Hope you have a better week than the Gonzaga fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.